Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of struggling to meet the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, or maybe you're caring for another member of your family? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we'll hear from the experts, professionals in the field of aging, and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. New York City is the most densely populated major city in the United States. It packs a whopping 8.5 million people into an area of just 305 square miles. And according to the Census Bureau, one million of those people are aged 65 or older. Among them are a group of octogenarians and nonagenarians living in Upper Manhattan who face a host of challenges as they age in place. Who's there to help these senior seniors? Well, today we're going to find out. We're joined by Paula Seafelt, the director of an innovative program in New York called Morningside Village. It was created by the nonprofit organization Life Force in later years. Paula Seafelt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jana. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you became involved with Life Force in later years. Sure. I'm a social worker by training, and actually my, my very, very first placement back in grad school years ago was working at a very similar organization that supported seniors who were living independently in the community, mm-hmm. and, you know, again, it was the, the oldest old, as they call it. The, the people I was working with were 90, 93, 92, you know, right around that age. Um, I then veered off and worked with adolescents for a number of years, but a few years ago, I was uh, leaving the grocery store, and there was a table right outside with some people standing there, and they were passing out flyers about this organization called Lily, Life Force in Later Years, and they were looking for volunteers in the community to visit older people. And I thought, well, that's something I'd like to do. And I was also looking for something I could do with my daughter. It's really hard to find nice volunteer opportunities for children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Lily, you know, Children can visit with their parents as well. And started volunteering. I was matched with a, just a wonderful, lovely lady who lived on my block. And as the program started developing, get bigger and bigger, they decided they actually needed an employee. Mm-hmm. And that's when I came on board. We were founded in 2009, and the organization has really, really grown. We are only in the Morningside Heights neighborhood of Manhattan. We, we don't cover the, the greater area of the city. And we're very much focused, you know, the name of the program is Morningside Village, and we really look at on our community as a village, um, people of all ages. And we're, we're really, really strong on building intergenerational connections. We're, I don't know how familiar your listeners are with, with Morningside Heights, but it's where Columbia University is located. Mm-hmm. So we have, you know, tons and tons of younger people. We have a real international presence. Um, and then we have long-time residents, and it, it's, just, it's very mixed. You know, racially, social, social, economic mix. Um, it's. I love this neighborhood. It's a wonderful place to live. And some of the seniors who live here are retired professors, or they have long-standing ties with Columbia University. Mm-hmm. I actually looked on a map recently. The New York Times did an article. It was called "The Group Portrait of New York's Oldest Old," and they have a map about where the oldest people live in the city. Hmm. And, well, if, and if you listen to interested, I recommend they check that out. Right. It's by John Leland. 
Okay, I'll I'll link to that um, at the end of the podcast. So, do you partner with Columbia University in any way? Yes, yes, they've been they have been helpful. Other organizations have supported us. We have, we have several partners here in the community that we work with. Uh huh. I I guess the question of it is also interesting: is how is your program funded? Is there any government money for this, or is this purely a private? No, no, we have private grants. We have private grants. Um, and we do a fundraiser every year. We have an annual gala where we honor a senior of note, mm-hmm. and we that, you know we sell tickets. It's a beautiful evening with you know wonderful entertainment and food, and that that's our biggest fundraiser of the year. Uh huh. It's once a year. So, how do you typically hear about someone who needs health or social services? How do people come to you? Well, it's really it's, it's kind of more arts and science. Um, some of some of the people in our organization are they come to the social events. We we've added so many social activities. We do a monthly movie group. We just started a bridge club. I have a walking group, a coffee group. Uh, you know, we're constantly just started. We're beginning a music group next month. Mm-hmm. So for some people, it's the the social piece of it that that's what they want us to come out for. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do. Some people bring a friend, or they'll say, "Oh, I have a neighbor. You should meet her." Sometimes we just, you know, we're New Yorkers, we walk. So it's very easy to get into conversations, sitting on a bench in the park, walking down the street. You know, we meet people constantly. You know, it's a little different. We're not in our cars. Mm-hmm. We're, we're all walking around the community together. And people find us. We had a woman call us last week. She'd heard about us. She was having some surgery. She knew she was going to need some assistance after the hospital. And she called. We went over and met her. And she was you know, absolutely lovely. And we're going to help her with some shopping and errand running. When she gets back, that's really great. So, how how big is your volunteer core, as it were? It really ranges. Uh, I would say anywhere between fifty to seventy-five. Oh, that's a lot. Volunteers. Now, some volunteers are very active. They, you know, they sit on committees. They visit every week. Others, they might come in. They're gonna. We've got one person who's gonna come in and set up the music class. If she doesn't visit somebody every week. So you can, you know, another person we have, she puts together our newsletter. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, for what she does. So you can, we have a real range of opportunities for volunteers. Mm-hmm. And they vary as to how involved they get. But the main focus, though, is the visits and the matching volunteers with seniors. And we really want you, we're about making friendships and relationships and building community. Mm-hmm. I, I know there are other village models across the country. And they're a little different than we are. Most of them charge a fee, and it's, you know, it's more transactional. You know, mm-hmm. you can get your driveway plowed X number of times. You can get X number of doctors escorted visits. We don't charge anything, and we're really about matching people that are going to enjoy each other and build a, a relationship together. Mm-hmm. So we try to, to introduce volunteers to seniors that we think they're going to like. They're going to enjoy doing things together. They're going to want to go out for coffee together. They're going to want to... Um, you know, I've got a couple, you know, they have the same interests. We had one woman, two women, one was a volunteer, one was a senior. They're both vegetarians and they'd love to cook. Mm-hmm. So they would have fabulous meals together and go to the market together and buy their produce together. So it's, it's a little, I think that makes our organization very unique from some of the other villages. It sounds very organic. Okay. Yes. So... Are, are are seniors reluctant to ask for help? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, I think we are a society that really values our independence. Um, I don't think anyone really likes to ask for help or be seen as needing help. Mm-hmm. 
and that's why the community building we, we do is, is such a lovely way uh, of, of being able to provide help to people that might need it, but may not want to ask for it, may, want, may not want to be identified as someone who needs help. Mm-hmm. So visits, coffees, walking groups, these are all lovely ways to connect and support each other. And, you know, now we have seniors who live in the same neighborhood developing their own friendship. Mm-hmm. But so, there are people, you know, who definitely are, they call and say, I need assistance with this. You know, I'm not going to be able to get to the doctor or I'm not going to be able to go to the grocery store. So it, it, it just it depends on the person. Uh-huh. Um, can you touch a little bit on the presentation that you gave about uh, geriatric shaming? Oh, yes. Well, it, it, it was an interesting topic. Um, there's not much in the literature about it. There's something we've observed working with people. We, we live in a culture where there's a lot of shame around getting older. Mm-hmm. There's shame about the, the physical appearance but of looking older. You know, we... But you think about what you say to somebody when you see them, you want to give them a compliment. Oh, you, you haven't seen what? Oh, you haven't changed. Oh, you look the exact same. You know, this idea that looking older is a negative in our society. Mm-hmm. Um, we're very much a work-focused society. So when someone's retired and they don't have that place that they're going every day, that they don't have that thing that gets them out of bed that they used to always do, it can make someone feel adrift. You can feel left out. You, could, you, can, you can feel ashamed. And as you touched on earlier, it can be shameful to need help. You know, things that you have done your whole life without any assistance can become really complicated when you're in your 90s. Mm-hmm. And simply getting to the grocery store can be, you know, more than you can handle. You know, we, we have several people that have been told they should use a walker. Um, I know several people that they'll use the push the little grocery carts, you know, the little shopping cart mm-hmm. things. I had one of those instead when I of using the walker. Yeah, used to go for laundry, but they don't want to be seen as someone who needs a walker. Uh-huh. Mm. Um, the director of our organization, of, of Lily Irene Zola, told an interesting story about somebody who would not go out until evening because she didn't want anyone to see her using her walker. Oh my goodness! So I think as a culture, we have these very negative perceptions of getting older and people can can internalize that and I think that can make getting older harder yeah in other cultures being older is venerated and and I have noticed that several of our volunteers who come from other countries where old age is looked upon a little bit differently they are just absolutely fabulous volunteers they're young these are college kids or grad students and they are some of our most dedicated, incredible volunteers. I think you see that, too, in the home uh, aid community generally. I know that uh, with my mom, we had a, uh, a caregiver for her who was from Trinidad for four years. And, she, you know, she comes from a culture where older people are revered. But I know, like in this culture, mm-hmm. someone like Betty White, you know, she's a caricature. <laughs> she's, she seems to be in on the joke, you know, but it's kind of a fine yeah. line between laughing with her and at her. You know, so seniors are either mm-hmm. these carefree, funny people or they're enfeebled. Um, mm-hmm. I think there are older people who are in their 60s and 70s and who are sort of set out as these incredible examples of aging beautifully, but then they seem to be the exception. You know, they're framed in terms of being sort of the exception to the norm. But I think what you're doing is so interesting with Morningside Village because you're really creating a multi-generational culture. 
Yes. Here's an example of something we're doing this week. There is a wonderful exhibit at one of the museums here. This is a museum that's about to close. It's an Italian Renaissance exhibit that's outside of Florence, only to be at this one place. Well, we're organizing a group. We have volunteers and seniors who are meeting there, and one of these seniors who's coming is a retired art history professor, and he's going to sort of be our own personal curator of the, of the exhibit. Oh, that's great. And that's, that's one of our activities this week. And, you know, we're turning to him for his wisdom and guidance. I know very little about Renaissance art, but I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to tell us as we go through the exhibit together. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So you, you mentioned okay. you know, people in their 70s, and, and that's another thing. You know, there's, there's a, old age lasts much longer now. You know, we, we, we qualify it legally or whatever, you know, with Social Security at 65. Mm-hmm. People have, kind of have that in their head as that's when you're officially a senior and you get your discounts and whatever. Um, <laughs> But, you know, people are living, you know, into their 90s. So that's, that could be 30 years if you retire at 65. Mm-hmm. And your, you know, your ability to do things, and you probably, I'm sure, saw this with your mom, can really start to decline when you're 85, when you're 90, when you're 95. You know, we have one lady who's 104. She lives on her own. That's but incredible. she, you know, she needs assistance to go out. She, she wouldn't go out in the streets by herself. She, she doesn't have the strength for that. Mm-hmm. And where does she live exactly? So, like in the same apartment, yeah, like Generally. right here in the neighborhood. Uh-huh. Same apartment she's been in for years. Is there an elevator and in the she, building? She has a, there is an elevator, uh-huh. she, and she has a whole team of visitors. She has somebody visit her every single day of the week. Her, her team just adores her. Wow. They're, they're very attached to her. I, here's another example. I got a phone call yesterday. It was Sunday morning. And one of her, her visitors was knocking on the door and, you know, calling the buzzer, and she wasn't answering. And she sort of, you know, the visitors figured she liked to sleep in on, on, on the weekends, but she's a little nervous. And I had keys to her apartment, so I went over, and I didn't need to use the keys. She let me in. But she called me and said, no, she's not answering. What do you think? And, you know, I've gotten permission from her to come over, from, from, the, from the seniors, come over, you know, as needed and use my keys. What? Mm-hmm. Again, this is the beauty of living in the community. I just walked over two blocks. There she was. She was fine. She was happy to see us. Um, but, but that's kind of what her team does, and they've they take her out because again, she can't go out by herself. But they have taken her in the past year to the ballet, to Shakespeare in the park, even just down to the park just to you know watch kids play and see people walking by. Because mm-hmm. again, she couldn't really get out on her own very easily. Mm-hmm. And where are the family members in this mix, the actual blood relatives? It depends. You know, this, uh-huh. this is, you know, we have people that don't have any family. Sure. sure. And someone like, like this lady who does not have any family, and mm-hmm. that's why she has a team. Other people have very, very involved families. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're just another uh, layer of communication or, you know, friend in their parents' life. And some people have families that they may not live very close. You know, we have, some people have grown children who are they're very close to, but they live in, you know, out west or they live overseas. Mm-hmm. And there's not that daily interaction that people used to have before we all lived so far apart. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't live near my parents, and I know you said you had to move back to be by your mom. Right. Where do you, you know, people take live? jobs all over. Mm-hmm. They're in Virginia. Yeah, they're in northern Virginia. So, you know, they're coming up here this weekend, but it's, it's a trip to go see each other. You know, sure. we're, we're not, you know, in and out of each other's houses. Do you worry about your own parents in terms of their aging and their aging experience and their needs? Have they changed? 
they definitely have changed. My, I'm, you know, we're very fortunate. My parents are still incredibly self-sufficient. Don't really need anything, mm-hmm. you know, from from any kind of outside assistance. Their mm-hmm. their their health is, you know, very good. Um, my mother does has mobility issues, but she has my father, and they're still living in their the big family three story house. They're, they're maintaining that, so they're they're doing okay. Mm-hmm. But yes, I absolutely do. You know, I've had conversations with my mom, and my mom is very organized. She bought long term care insurance years ago. Oh. She's she, she's very efficient. So again, I, I guess I got I got lucky in that. My mom was a planner, but most of us don't really, I think, plan so much for old age. Mm-hmm. We think it's going to happen to everyone else, but not us. <laughs> to everyone else, exactly, exactly. There was a really frightening article about the, the people, uh, the, the boomer generation, and the com- shockingly low level of savings that, that the average person has heading into retirement. Mm-hmm. Well, it's savings is, is one piece of it, but the other interesting thing, I think, one of the under- interesting points is that so many of us boomers are caring for our parents, and there's this whole generation, us, that is going to need caring as well. And so mm-hmm. who is going to care for us? Because that's a huge uh, issue that's, that's going to have to be faced because, you know, we're so busy thinking about our parents, we really aren't focused too much on ourselves in terms of what kind of help we're going to need. And um, a bill was introduced in 2014 called the National Care Corps Act by Representative uh, Michelle Grisham from New Mexico, and and it, it and it's a modeled on the Peace Corps, and it's the, it's called the National Care Corps Act, and it's my understanding they're going to try and reintroduce it, and you know it's this whole model of creating a cadre, as it were, of people to service um, a community that is underserved and at the same time give a benefit to young people along the lines of the Peace Corps, educational benefits and such. But I'm getting a little off topic. So I wanted to ask you, what are some of the greatest... No, 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 but it it is, you know, part of the the, the greater problem. And the baby boom generation is, you know, they're they're heading into their 70s. And it is going to be a number of old people uh, on the level we haven't really seen before. And, and you know, they're healthy. These are people that can live for, for quite a while and don't have savings. And, and you're right. We'll need some assistance. And we don't really have a system in place. So it's great to hear this stuff. This is being discussed. Yeah. So I want, what, what are some of your greatest challenges with your work there? I guess making sure we have enough volunteers, really, to... to to meet everyone's needs and keeping the seniors engaged. You know, that's another piece of this. We, we, like this, um, the guy who's a retired professor being able to, he gave a lecture earlier doing the, the, the tour. We'd like to have opportunities for our seniors to do things too. And some of them are volunteers as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have a 90 year old volunteer. So really trying to uh, acquire new volunteers, retain volunteers, keep volunteers committed, um, and, you know, we're constantly getting requests from new seniors and always, you know, wanting to find the right person for them. Uh-huh. I know that, that um, for my mom, she's really energized by having younger people around her, too. So I think I heard someone say, you know, I'm older, but I'm not old. <laughs> I can still... Yes, but that's the thing. We put people in these, these um, what do they call it, like a silo system, you know, where, where 
you're with all people your age. Right. And I think everybody loses out on that. I think younger people lose out. I think older people, middle-aged, yeah, you, it, we should all be mix, mixing it up. And that's, it's very fun when we do our volunteer parties. We have them once or twice a year. And mm-hmm. it's great because you have people of all ages, all ethnic backgrounds. I've not, you, you'll never go to a party with such a diversity where you have teenagers and 90-year-olds uh-huh. all hanging out together. That's pretty <laughs> so cool. That, that is something we really, really work to do is, is to break down those age barriers and bring people together because, I know the expression age is just, just a number, but in some ways it, the, the truth to it is you're, you're still the person with the interests you have and people have so much wisdom to give. Mm-hmm. And some of our younger volunteers just and learn so much from being with their seniors. Mm-hmm. Do you come up against so any language? So our seniors language? have a lot to offer. What's that? No, I was just going to ask you if you come up against any language barriers. I know that there's a lot of, it's a pretty diverse population. We, well, we do have um, a, Spanish-speaking, uh, a, a Spanish-speaking woman who's, who's now working with us, and she's actively recruiting in the Latino community here. And then we have several volunteers who speak different languages. But most of our seniors, you know, speak English. They might speak other languages as well. Mm-hmm. But in general, many of them have been here for decades. And while they might have come from Eastern Europe or, you know, wherever they came from, generally they do speak English. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about the Elder Care Village Building Guidelines, which is very in-depth, and it, it almost looks like here's what you can do, here's how you can replicate what we're doing, even though New York is Yes, this different. is actually something we're, we're moving forward on. We're, we're mentoring a few different communities. That's really great. One in California, which is really interesting, was a rural area, and they had done some research, and they picked our model, and they contacted our director, Irene, and, and she is mentoring them to start their own village, but to meet their own needs. Every community is different. And, and as I described, our community is probably really, really different than most communities in this country. Um, but we are partnering, we are mentoring another village right here in Manhattan, right north of us in West Harlem called Manhattanville. And we're having our kickoff meeting next week because there, that is a real dense area for older seniors, mm-hmm. and we're not going to set it up for them, but we're going to, you know, support them, mentor them, give them, you know, show them our, what we did, what worked for us, and they can tweak it and develop it to meet their own community's needs, because this is something that can be put into place in almost any community throughout the country. We're doing one a little bit um, in upstate New York, too. Mm-hmm. Someone up there came to Irene with the same thing, and again, it's a small village, so different sort of environment than what we have, but they're going to build it to suit their needs. Mm-hmm. And for one thing, we don't use cars here. Other communities will probably be involved in driving people places. That's just not something that we do. People who live far apart, they, they probably have different ways of connecting. Uh, here, we're walking, so we, we, we walk with people quite often. So, but we are mentoring in those three different areas, uh, a village model similar to ours but mm-hmm. designed to meet their own unique needs. Well, I think that's really fantastic because, you know, you're doing your own thing, but then you're also promoting this concept. Oh, <laughs> yes. I mean, I've, I've lived in my neighborhood for a number of years, but I really feel a part of the community now. I mean, I can't go out and, you know, buy a loaf of bread without running into somebody I know, whether it's a volunteer, whether it's a senior, um, whether it's a family member of a senior, it's, it's great. It's become such a community for me. 
So that's been a, a big advantage. Mm-hmm. Do you have any key takeaways for our listeners? I'm going to wind this up. When Irene started this, she had seven people, and she's had a couple of volunteers visiting a couple of seniors. It started very, very small, and it, it just grew so rapidly because the need was there. And I, we did something in the fall uh, where we promote October 1st, is International Day of Senior Citizens, declared by the United Nations. And we used to do once a one-day October 1st big celebration. We've expanded it now into a week. And we have a giant lunch for our seniors and a party. But we also really push people in the community who are not involved with us to, hey, call your grandmother. Go knock on the door of that older lady who lives down the hall. Ask how she's doing. Does she need anything? Check in. Say hi. Really look out and and find whoever the, the older person in your life is and spend some time with them. So um, that is something that any, even in a very small way, but if many people do it, it would have a huge effect. So we're saying the first week of, well, October 1 is the actual recognized mm-hmm. day, and you're saying... And we're going to build a whole week of events around that October 1 date. I see. That sounds terrific. That sounds terrific. Well, yeah, it's, as you said, it's, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's a part of the population that we don't always see. When you're the, the older, old people, they're not out and about. You know, the 70-year-olds the you were talking about before, sure, they're out doing all kinds of things. You know, they're kayaking. They're going on cruises. They're, but, but the 90-year-olds, we, we, we don't see them as much, and, and we do need to recognize them and honor them, and they are an important part of our community. Mm-hmm. Well, Paula Seafelt, thank you so much for joining me. I'm going to say, oh, say goodbye. Oh, thanks for having me. Unless you have anything else you'd like to say, I'm going to thank you so much for participating. Um, oh, well, thank you very much. I salute you and the work and, that you're doing. Uh, I'm going to connect people to your website, too. Oh, that'd be great. Okay. All Thanks, right. Paula. Thank you. Yes, if anyone's interested, they can email me. Like, I'd be happy to talk to them. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear what you thought of today's program. You can email me at Jana at AgeWise.com. That's J-A-N-A at A-G-E-W-Y-Z, or Z, as my Canadian mother says. You can also find me online at AgeWise.com, and you can subscribe to the podcast and download any episodes for free at iTunes. I'm Jana Panaritis. See you next time. Until then, age well. Age wise.